Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets podcast. I'm the magazine's editor, John Human. Uh, I'm joined today by uh, Graham Davis, our uh, news editor. How are you doing, Graham? Hello, John. Uh, and, uh, very well, thanks. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, that's not true, though, is it? No. We've got a brave face today. <laughs> good. Graham's got a bit of a cold, uh, which he's now sharing with us all in, <laughs> in this little room we're sitting in. And uh, we've got our first ever studio guest, Cully Sammer from Charles Schwab. How are you doing, Cully? Good, John. Nice to see you. Excellent. Okay, so uh, it's been an interesting week again, as it always is. But Mm. uh, this week we've been, uh, you know, partying like it's 1999 because (laughs) it's been a momentous week. The FTSE 100 is finally back above 6930, which it last got to on the last day of the last millennium. Yeah, should was, we be should we be excited? And you know, at that time, just something I picked up: the average price of a house in the UK was seventy five thousand pounds. Oh, don't say that. I know oh, it's incredible. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm incredible. just about to buy a new house, and it's not seventy five thousand. <laughs> I know pounds. it's not. <laughs> it's not, is it? It is amazing. As you say, a decade and a half to get back to where we were. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. yeah. Should, so, we, should we be celebrating that? I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I, I cover this in my editorial. I mean, it's a nominal figure, so I think yeah. I think you know actually, the fact this is is uh, generating headlines is, is somewhat absurd in itself because yeah. it's an arbitrary number uh, yeah. and it doesn't actually reflect inflation. And so, you know, yeah, were, were we to have in, included inflation, I think the index would have to be near uh, 9,000, 10,000. Like uh, yeah. mm-hmm. But it also doesn't it, it take into account the dividends that have been paid out by FTSE mm-hmm. 100 companies over that time or the effect that dividend reinvestment would have had, um, which would have taken it way past yeah. that, that level. Yeah. Albeit, without generating a particularly spectacular annualised return, I think it was about 1.5% if you include dividends. Yeah. Uh, John, as you know, I'm here to talk about U.S. stocks, and it's, it's always good to set the context of where the U.K. is. But you know, something I did before I came on here today was try and do a comparison of the two markets as for an investor and the diversity of the two different exchanges, should we say? And I looked at the FTSE, FTSE 250. 35% of the FTSE 250 is made up of financials. FTSE 250. FTSE 250. Okay. Okay. And then of the FTSE All Share, which is about a thousand shares, it's 25.54%. Uh, okay. So obviously, a big reason that we've seen. Uh, the FTSE struggled to get to where it's got to today. Um, the US, you know, I'm a proponent of that. I'm the cheerleader for the US, I guess you could say. And uh, <laughs> slightly more diverse. I mean, only 16% of the US is made up from financial. So hence the reason it's been a, been a bit more resilient. In fact, since the global financial crisis, you've seen the US outperform uh, every year since 2008, bar one mm. with the FTSE. So, and the, the US markets have been setting record highs every week for the past year. Yeah, they have. And again, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, how important is that? Yeah. I mean, the, what's it's more important to bigger. me is the sta- sustainability of what's actually going on. And uh, at the end of the day, it's about the underlying economy. Mm-hmm. I know we've had some mixed economic numbers. And at the time of recording, we've got uh, the revision to Q4 GDP, which is actually going to be revised downwards, we believe. From okay. 2.6 to about 2.1, 2.2. But that's transitory reasons, oil, currency, and all those things. So it's still a pretty decent decent yeah. rate of growth. Yeah, absolutely. Well. I, absolutely. Think, I think the UK had some things out today. 2.7. The UK has 2.7. Annualized. Annualized. Annualized growth. And yeah. Spain was yeah. even 2.2 <coughs> as well. So even Europe looks like it may have turned the corner, despite what we hear coming out of Greece. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the US is definitely on, on a great path. It's a little bit bumpy. And I think when it comes to the stock market, the easy gains have certainly been made. Um, something, I guess, what your listeners want to hear is something slightly different to what everybody else is saying. I think we've been talking about a correction due to come soon, okay, or a deep pullback in the U.S. Um, 
but uh, we think the second half will kind of lead uh, a, a good picture really for the US. Let's come, let's come back to that. Yeah, Because sure. I mean, that's something I'm, I mentioned in my editorial. So uh, I, I okay. picked up a quote from uh, Seth Klarman, for, yep. uh, who, uh, uh, Baupost, who's obviously one of the uh, leading hedge fund managers out there. And, okay. you know, he's, he's not ha- entirely happy with the way the stock market has gone. Certainly for guys like himself, who, you know, he's a deep value investor, stock picker. No value and, anyway. <laughs> and there's no value anyway. So he's not having a pretty a particularly good time of it. You know, Schiller has warned that things are looking a little bit tasty yeah. over in the US. Yeah, but, you know, valuations are like a pendulum. Mm. It doesn't hit a ceiling and then bounce straight back. You know, granted, we are, whether you look on a forward base or trailing basis, we're well above median levels. But, you know, valuations can get stretched and remain stretched in a bull market. And I know we talked about a, a correction, but we still think the bull market has got some legs on it. Okay. So, I mean, you know, going back to the, to the, uh, the FTSE 100, yep. um, you know, one of the things I mentioned in, in my editorial this week is that it's not especially expensive um, you know, by historical standards. And it's certainly nowhere near as expensive as it was back in the, 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 yeah. you know, the last days of Rome, 1999, <laughs> uh, which I remember well. Uh, everyone was busy putting together their dot-com business plans and uh, yeah, you know, not well. doing a great deal of actual work. Yeah. Which, uh, which I, I worked in an advertising agency at the time and I, you know, never have I seen an office in which so little work was done in, in the Incredible. course of a year. Um, plenty of money was spent then. Oh, God, money was being spent yeah. in the front. Center. But yeah, I, th- I think, you know, the FTSE 100 today, you know, trading, trading PE 17, mm-hmm. You know, not not necessarily massively cheap, yep. but not a not decent ludicrous. yield on it as well. The, the yield is interesting, mm. and uh, I was looking back over some some research Dominic Picarda did uh, before he, uh, he he deserted us for uh, for, for uh, greener pastures, greener or, pastures. Not. Yeah, <laughs> he moved or not. Other things. Um, and you know, he was saying the dividend yield is is actually a really good uh, indicator of returns to come. You know, yep. if you if you've got a nice uh, yield coming out of the uh, of the FTSE, then you know you can expect returns to be pretty decent. So I think um, FTSE yielding about three 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 point six three point six. Yeah, today. Yeah. Thank you. I do wonder how much you could pull out of that the special dividends and various other things that have been done with the financial engineering. Mm. Yeah, that companies have been forced to do. Yeah. I, I don't know if you can get normalised numbers, but but yeah, it's irrefutable. The, the yields are pretty good, and where else are you going to go with cash yields? Almost negative in a lot of places. Well, yeah. indeed, and, yeah. and actually going back to, to uh, 1999, mm. the the average yield on the FTSE was about two two and a half percent. So you know, yeah, stocks are a lot more realistically priced today yeah. um, than they were back then. I, I actually looked at the FTSE 250 as well. Um, so I noted noted that George Osborne had been been uh, tweeting tweeting away uh, wow. that the FTSE had hit a record high. You know, what's his hashtag? Trying to take all the credit for it as well. Well, it? well yeah. it's, 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 it's so. Yeah, exactly. It's proof all that the long term economic plan is working. Hashtag long term economic exactly. plan. Exactly. Um, but Nothing the FTSE two fifty is you know the index we we've always liked to think of as the one that is is more representative of, of the UK's domestic economy, yep. mm. and that's been I mean that's been powering powering ahead for years and yep. years and years long. You know that 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 recovered its post.com losses by 2004 yeah. and you know it's triple where it was back then so uh and it still looks quite reasonably priced yeah it does yeah. and uh you know you mentioned about the domestic economy it's still quite there's still a lot of turnover that's generated overseas for the oh yeah year. and same for the s&p 500 as yeah, well i think yeah. something like 60 percent of turnover for the s&p 500 companies is overseas I think that's lower than the, the FTSE 100. FTSE 170 percent. Yeah, yeah. So for the uh, for S and P 500, it's uh, slightly lower. Yeah. So, so I dug out um, the FTSE 250 uh, historic PE going back to 99. Uh, it was kind of in the mid uh, 2022 uh, at the turn of the millennium. It's just under 20 today. So so you know, and it's never really deviated yeah. much from that. Uh, Except in the financial crisis, I think all PEs went out of whack. Everything yeah. went crazy, yeah. Uh, yeah. as you'd expect. Uh, FTSE 100, you know, back in uh, back at the turn of millennium, was was above 30. 
Uh, today it's 17, so yeah. you know, be you know, different killer fish altogether. S&P 500 composite was above 30. Did you say it's trailing or it's trailing? Or trailing yeah, right. and now it's below 20. Yeah, so even yeah. that doesn't look yeah. ludicrously expensive. Yeah, exactly, and and like I say, in a bull market, valuations can come stretched and remain stretched for a protracted period of time, mm. which is probably what we'll see now. But again, you know, going back to my point I made earlier that we do see the potential of a correction in the US. Okay, we've gone three and a half years now without a correction. Normally, mm. you get one every 18 months. And, uh, you know, choose your reason, whether it's uh, what's going on with global growth, although the picture's improving, whether there's, you know, changes in the price of oil, moves in the currency, you know, what's going to happen with Fed policy, of course, geopolitics as yeah, well. I was going to ask you about that because yeah. obviously Janet Yellen was yeah. um, in front of the, 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 the uh, committee this week talking yeah. about Fed policy and tweaking yeah. the words a little bit again. Yeah, but to it's, be- it's all around the wording at the moment, but this indicates that interest rates are going up sooner rather than later. And how, how do you think the US is going to swallow that I normally watch her press conferences because she is obviously thinking very hard about mm. what she says going forward and from what I understand well, everyone's watching aren't yeah they? everyone's they watching by and from what I understand what they want to do when they start on the, on the kind of path to tightening interest rates is start to make the, the statements shorter just because it's it's incredible how much people pass what they say. I remember mm. the last press press conference, someone asked her to define what she meant by a couple of meetings, a term she uh, repeated this time round. Her response was in the dictionary, it means two. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're with the consensus. We think interest rates will start to go up middle of the year. I know it went out as far as September before we saw the jobs report uh, for, la- for this month. Mm. Um, but, you know, whether they're one and done, whether there's going to be a couple more, you know, who knows? They've turned a little bit more dovish in the composition of the, the voting members. Uh, I think there were three slightly more hawkish members who are no longer with uh, with the committee. So, okay. yeah, it's it's a tenuous path. But historically, if you look at what has happened in previous rate hike cycles, um, as you go into the cycle, you get volatility. Sure enough, we're seeing now hmm. 18 out of 20 trading days in January saw the S&P move more than 1%. For my clients who are individual investors, it's really tough to watch. Yeah. We've seen that sort of calm down a little bit now. Um, but once we start going into the rate height cycle, I think things will calm down even further. Um, and, you know, the reason we think there's going to be a second half, uh, second half strength in the economy is because the consumer has not been spending this money they've been getting from this tax cut they've ostensibly received from the oil price being weak. Uh, Visa and MasterCard estimated recently that consumers are only spending something like 25% of that money. The rest, they're paying down debt, they're saving, they're spending on health care. So those first two elements of paying down debt and saving, you know, sets you up really well mm. for f- future spending. Um, mm. So uh, it's going to be interesting how, how the rest of the year pans out for the US, I think. Well, we talked about the uh, UK consumer last week and yeah. how things are looking a bit better over here yeah, as yes. well in yeah. that respect. Um, yeah. And yeah, you know, if there is a period of, uh, you know, getting getting one's financial affairs in order and, and, and paying off debts that were, were incurred, in, you know, that, well, again, you know, Weakness now yep. suggests strength, strength in the future. I think yes, that. Yeah, so, so confident that the US is certainly over the longer term, pretty, yep. pretty looking pretty good. And the medium term, I think, and, as well. And the medium term. Yeah, short term volatility, medium term strength. Go back to this correction you talked about. Yeah. That's, that's a word that makes people nervous. Yeah. I mean, what, why would that happen? I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you know, three and a half years without one, 18 months on average, you get one. I don't want to say it's just down to the, you know, what happens with calendars. Mm. History doesn't always repeat itself, but it does tend to rhyme, as Mark Twain says. But we're, talk- so we're, t- but we're talking a technical correction. The technical correction, the- yeah, 10%, right? Um, right. We had a pullback last year, uh, and it came, I think, with something nine and something percent. Uh, it wasn't technically a correction, but okay. but yeah, either a deep pullback, but we think it'll be a correction. And it, it can be healthy, knock some of the froth out of the market. Um, if you look at, the, there's something really good in 
the US, the AAII indicators, which are the American Association of Individual Investors. Mm. And that has got a little bit frothy lately. And uh, that is sort of a contraindicator as to what might happen with the economy. And what was this? With this, the this stock market. So what, what, what does that indicator show? Then? So the AAII, it's, it's how individual investors are feeling. Are they feeling very confident? Yep. Are they feeling a little bit you know, wary about what's going on with the stock market? So they're confident at the moment? They're confident at the mo- moment. And that's taken as a contraindicator for the US. Yeah. So if individual yeah. investors are feeling overly confident, then... I mean, we wouldn't necessarily agree because we represent individual investors, but that's how it's read. Mm. At the moment, there is a little bit of froth in sentiment. It's a sentiment indicator. Okay, so do you, do you, presumably your, your clients uh, at Schwab will contribute to this uh, Yeah, they will, which is, which is why we wary about uh, you know, pointing at it too much because it almost suggests the individual investor doesn't know what they're doing and you know, we'd argue that isn't always the case. Or you would argue that very, very much Good. too. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. You know, at the end of the day, the individual investor, it's their own hard-won money, so they have to think about it much more carefully than mm, yeah. uh, people who are managing other people's money. It's a high degree of responsibility. And, um, yeah, so. But you know, this correction knocks some of the froth out. Uh, I'm sure some of the people listening to this podcast, they buy U.S. products, they consume U.S. services. I was asked the question, how many of them actually own U.S. US stocks? Uh, you know, a great stat, if you add the NASDAQ and NYSE market caps together, it's more than the next 10 uh, stock exchanges combined in market cap. Yeah, I can believe that. So the point being, global uh, diversification you know, it's smart to own a piece of the US, but how many people actually do? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we we have tried over the last few years to, to broaden our, our horizons when it comes to the, the companies we write about. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've looked at Europe, we've looked at uh, the US, we've, we've tipped a number of companies out there, you know, Boeing, for example, being yep. one of them. We tipped Apple being the, one of our most successful Apple, ones. Apple, which was my tip. <laughs> oh, nice move. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get that trumpet blowing sample. Oh, look, I mean, it? you're right. I mean, it's, uh, in terms of GDP, be the 20th largest country, right? It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. But it was also, it's you know, when point. I looked at it, so it was, uh, well, okay, I mean... <laughs> It's good call. Incredible. It was a good call. <laughs> Take the plaudits. <laughs> I, I tipped that company, and between me writing the tip and us going to, to press on the Wednesday, which we do, and the magazine coming out on the Friday, Steve Jobs died. Oh, <laughs> So my wow. timing was, was pretty spectacular. Yeah. And obviously at that point, there were lots of questions. It, actually, it didn't matter for a while. The shares motored ahead. Mm-hmm. But as you know, as the as the kind of years went on, there were questions about whether, whether it had lost its way and whether Tim Cook was a you know worthy successor. And mm-hmm. yeah, but there was a big correction as well there yes, in, yeah, in Apple. Yeah. And we wrote about it again and said, no, don't worry. Yeah. Because it looked quite one, it looked quite cheap. Yeah. It had so much cash. We thought, well, it's going to start paying some of that back, and it yeah. was a classic value. Thought really was, at the yeah, time it was. And, I mean, uh, Tim Cook's been great because he's been a great manager, right? Mm, mm. Steve Jobs had a different kind of leadership. Tim Cook's been a great manager, giving back some of the cash which people were getting fed up with all this cash pile. And you know, it's an incredibly well-run entrepreneurial company, and there are many of those in the US. And so, I think you're right writing about the US more, and it's actually very accessible for your clients as well, whether it's through. ETFs, unit trusts, um, you know, various other ways. We always encourage direct stock ownership because you have more visibility in terms of currency moves. Um, but there is many ways to own the US. Well, it's, I mean, it's funny you say that because, because yeah, as we have tried to broaden our, our coverage, we, you know, there have been some suggestions that we should stick to our knitting. You know, we should stick to the UK. Mm. Um, that there have been uh, complaints that actually trading in overseas shares is, is a little bit tougher you get stung on your currency uh rates you get stung on withholding, t- withholding tax, tax withholding tax and dividends that is the biggest, biggest one yeah. Yeah. um u.s 
it's a little bit better than some of the perhaps European oh, markets we've looked at. But, but yeah. perhaps you could talk us through why why the US is better in 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 kind of the technicalities of buying US shares than, than perhaps Europe is. Yeah, I mean the biggest thing I would point out to, which I've already mentioned, is the size of the US uh, and then the liquidity that comes with that. You know how much it actually costs to trade the US? It's less than nine bucks a trade for my clients, and it's like twelve, thirteen pounds on average for mm. UK trades. Mm. Um, the currency aspect, you can treat it one of two ways. You can try and hedge against it. Or you can think that currency has a degree of reversion to the mean. Which is what our view would be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that and my clients are split into those two camps. Some of them hedge. Some of them just think, look, it's one of those things that revert to the mean eventually. I mean, we saw remember when sterling went to 170 recently. Now it's back down to about 150 or 160 yeah. is probably the longer term yeah, yeah. mean. But uh, well, still, I mean, sterling got to nearly, you know, two, $2 a pound yeah. uh, at one stage. Yeah, yeah, when, when that was yeah. 2005? Yeah, exactly. Five. And you remember when they were talking about repricing oil and aeroplanes into euros? Do you remember that? I do Not remember. That I, actually, <laughs> I, I remember that time. I remember there was a, there was, there was a big story because Giselle, the model, now, then, yeah. she, she refused to be paid in, in dollars. dollars. Yeah. Do, you remember, do you remember I that? Remember as, that. Uh, yeah. She would only yeah. accept euros as payments. Yeah, exactly. And you know, something a client actually said to me, the reason he prefers to trade US stocks and he used the M&S example and he said uh, I walk into M&S I have a great experience I think the stock's going to do well I'll go and buy it but you're not buying your experience you're not buying your walk into that store with US stocks okay so we can't be there we can't directly see them but the level of analysis you get on US stocks means that you don't necessarily have to be biased by your individual experience you're looking at the stock individually so that's the reason he prefers to trade US because it's not uh, you know tainted by his home bias. So when you say analysis, you mean there's the, the, the analysts covering these companies, there's a much greater breadth and depth yeah. of coverage than there yeah. is in the UK. Yeah, I mean, as a retail uh, stockbroker, which is what we are, uh, we actually analyse 3,000 stocks, which is the largest coverage on Wall Street. We have something like $2.4 trillion in client assets, 9 million client accounts. The reason I bring this up is because that helps us keep our prices great value and offer even more tools to invest in. I, mean, I don't mean to harp on too much about the US, but it is it really is so easy and so widely researched that for individual investors, it's its much easier than they think. Well, so, I mean, okay, so that would beg a question, though. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's so widely researched, yeah. Yeah, what, what possible chance could I have of finding some value that, that somebody else hasn't? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends if you've got the, the time and the wherewithal to, to research individual stocks. If yeah. you haven't, then you can always buy ETFs. You can buy tracker ETFs, which have performed so well. And that's the other option you have. Actually, we, th- we think you can. Uh, As an individual uh, investor? No, I would agree. We think you can. And, and actually, so the reason we've got you here today, Carly, yeah. is because it, it coincides very neatly with um, with a feature, the, our cover feature this week, which is uh, Super Size Returns Part 2. Wow. Um, so we, a, a guy got in touch with me uh, a while back from uh, a company called Morningstar. Yeah. And th- they do some research for you, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do they some well. great, great research for our clients. And, and he wanted to write for us, and he was uh, he was a, an analyst at Morningstar. He said, "I'd like to do something for you. I'd like to pick out some U.S. small caps." And uh, you know, he, he he has this idea, um, which I don't we don't hear it so much in the UK about economic moats. Right. So he's looking for companies that basically have these incredible def- defensible positions, yeah. right. whether that be pricing or or intangibles, you know, uh, yeah. intellectual property or whatever. And uh, he put a little portfolio together for us in May uh, 2013, and it's up 50 percent, 50 percent since small caps. You so know. people should go out and buy the magazine and see which stocks it is. Right. Well, he's got five more mm. this week. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, going back to your, your point about home bias, I don't know any of them. No, yeah. and, these, and these yeah. are, you know, these <laughs> are big companies. Big these are companies, companies. Valued, valued in the billions. Uh, yeah, well, we, well, I mean, small, a small, small cap, cap in America is, is a bit bigger than yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, Everything in America yeah. is bigger, isn't it? And, you know, I do wonder, I don't know where they're listed, but I don't wonder how many AIM stocks would have that level of research for them. Um, yeah. you know. Not 
many. Not many. Exactly. I, would, I would suggest. No, these. Are, I mean, these are. Uh, yeah, as you say. I mean, what's that one? Two billion market cap. Wow. The, and small caps are going to slightly outperform because they are domestically focused, and it is the domestic economy that is doing so well in the US. So mm. there's part of that story probably going on with these names. Mm. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's great to hear, and I think your readers should go out and buy the magazine and see what the other five are. Well, I completely, <laughs> I completely agree, yeah. and, they, and they should put their trades through Charles Schwab. Yeah, of course, <laughs> come on over. But you mentioned the withholding, you know, we uh, people can deal with that very easily. Yes. You know, there are yeah. good relationships between the IRS and the HMRC. Other European economies, it's slightly harder, I guess, and uh, emerging markets, there are an abundance of ETFs out there that you can trade with, and uh, it's much easier to invest in the US than, it, than you think, and everybody should have some t- degree of exposure because of that market cap story I already mentioned. Mm, mm, absolutely. Um, and just going back to the withholding tax, it's as simple as filling in a form, is it yeah, not? Yeah, W-8 to- form. Uh, sorry, the, the, the terminology, I don't mean to keep... Uh, no, no, no. no it's, it's called uh, a W-8 form. Yep. And it's, it needs to be refilled every three years and your broker should be chasing you like crazy to get it refilled, which is what we do. Yep. And it means only 15% of dividends is withheld at source, nothing else. And then you can claim that back via HMRC. There's a dual tax treaty that exists between the two. They're relatively friendly, the IRS and the HMRC. So it's actually a lot easier than you think. Okay. And I mean, in terms of currency, so I mean, if I'm uh, if I want to trade some US um, shares, mm-hmm. uh, stocks, yeah. should I say? Um, you know, currency. How, how do I buy them? Do I am I paying? Do I tra- do I translate all my money? Do I convert my currency, uh, my sterling into dollars, and then buy in dollars, or or are you translating as on the fly? As it you're were? sterling into dollars, one time transaction, then yep. you keep the money in there and trade in dollars. And and the reason that's important is you're not hit every time. Yeah, because that's what some of our readers have complained about with yeah. some of the, yeah. the, the stocks. That's, that's what some of the UK past. brokers do, and also I've seen some markups as well on stocks. You mm. know, if you buy, for example, some US ETFs, there's always an additional markup to manage the currency aspect of okay. it at least this way once you've done it you can actually have a high degree of visibility as to what, how you're being impacted by the currency mm. uh, and as i say clients take two ways either hedge yourself different ways to hedge yourself or just take the long-term reversion to the mean and you know currency will sort of come back eventually and by the way it, you know the dollar has been particularly strong so if you had bought u.s stocks just from a currency perspective you'd be uh, outperforming anyway but and then uh, i already mentioned that the s&p 500 has outperformed the FTSE uh, you know, every year bar one yeah, since the yeah. crisis. I mean, again, I guess that means conversely that the US stocks are expensive on a currency perspective now. So I mean, you, you know, it's going to cost you a few more pounds sterling to buy them than, than it would have done yeah. a year or two ago. But yeah, but, but then, then you have to question how much stronger the dollar can get, and part of that is going to be driven by how where we are in the rate cycle. I remember, you know, when we talked about the sterling getting to one seventy, it was because Mark Carney almost suggested for a moment that we might move rates before the US. <laughs> Which, at the time, we were all scratching our head, and even yeah. more so now. Uh, and oh, forward guidance. I know. It's been brilliant, hasn't it's, it? It's been yeah. really unmitigated success. The whole reason we hired a Canadian, but uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens with that. But so, but some people have been talking about a sort of mega bull run in the dollar that could go on for for years. Do you subscribe to that? Or? Yeah. I mean, we do think the dollar will continue to strengthen. I mean, it, it, there's a zero-sum game going on around the rest of the world. Mm, Everybody's trying exactly. to Everyone going. else is. is yes. Yeah. But, you know, I scratch my head and wonder, how much can you keep devaluing? I mean, we've got a, Euro, the euro has got to be devalued more than the yen at the end of the day mm. in order for that euro really to win out. And how much can they keep going? <laughs> um, but, you know, the dollar is strong because of the domestic story primarily. You know, yeah. only 13% of the U.S. economy is exported. 13% of GDP is dependent upon exports. Mm. 13. Of that, 11% goes to Europe. Okay. Uh, and conversely, you know, there's not much imported. There's not much trade that goes on uh, on a proportional perspective. For the UK, it's something like 32%, I think, we depended upon exports, 50% of which goes to Europe. Yep. 
So for us, it's it's much harder, mm. uh, in, you know, with currency. But Absolutely. but yeah, I, I think we subscribe to the the run in the dollar, mm. uh, driven by the strength in the economy primarily. But that shouldn't, as you say, with exports not being a huge component of the economy, it shouldn't harm the wider economy. Uh, no, it shouldn't. But you know, I mentioned GDP revision is due out Friday the twenty eighth. I think yeah. it is tomorrow, twenty seventh. Twenty seventh. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, the revision downward is partially due to trade because okay. imports are expected so to is, go up. Yeah. And so there is a small impact, mm -hmm. but we think it'll be a relatively temporary impact. And obviously, the oil price doing what it's doing has a temporary impact as well. Yeah. So, well, I mean, let's let's talk about the oil price for a bit because yeah. you know I was having a, a, a conversation with a very conspiratorially minded friend of mine at lunchtime <laughs> who, who suggested, I mean, you know, pet oil is pricing dollars. Yeah. Now you know, oil has weakened considerably. Um, one would expect the dollar to perhaps not be as in demand as a currency because you don't need as much to buy oil. Yeah. Now, hasn't hasn't really happened, has it? Yeah, it's expectation of interest rates that's uh, and the strength in the economy, I think, which is driving things. So, mm. um, are, you, are you worried about, I mean, because, you know, shale, the shale oil revolution has been quite quite important in, in terms of the US recovery story. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the whole plunging oil price, yeah, there, there is a lot of talk that it threatens, uh, you know, US shale production. That, I mean, the, could this have repercussions, economic repercussions for, 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 for the US economic progress? Well, firstly, I'll go back to what I said earlier. 68% of the economy is made up of the consumer. So it's very important what happens to them. They've ostensibly had a tax cut. They've got more money in their pocket to spend. Mm. Now, the concerns around the oil price going on, as you mentioned, shale, is that... Uh, 10%, so a third of total capex in the S&P 500 is made up of oil and gas capex. But only 10% of total economy's capex is made up of oil and gas. So it's sustainable on that front. The employment picture is the other worry. 900,000 people are employed in the oil and gas sector in the US. We've been watching weekly initial jobless claims very closely to see mm. are these people being laid off yet. Well, we saw we saw uh, Weir this week in the results section. I mean, they've laid off. They're, they're a big uh, UK provider of yeah. you know pu pumping equipment basically for yeah. for the shale industry, and they've laid off a lot of people in, yeah. in the US. Yeah, and yeah, there've been rig counts have come down as well. You know, everybody's been obsessed with what how many rigs there are being yep. used at the moment. But production in the US has actually picked up. It's actually mm. gone up. So I think on a net-net basis, a, a, a weaker oil price is positive for the US because of the impact on the consumer. Of course, there's a ripple impact as well in what happens to some of the junk bonds some of these companies use to, to finance all of this. So, But on a net basis, we think it, they're weakening oil price is positive okay well this is a very unusually bullish uh, mm. bullish podcast <laughs> yeah, well, you know short-term caution medium to long term you know we're in a good place i think yeah yeah and i think you know going back to to my editorial i think i think the uk i think you could say the same really i think uh certainly valuations look look sustainable look reasonable uh the consumer has money in their pocket europe's you know, doing better europe's doing better so yeah i mean yeah, you know, this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a natural pessimist, so I, I I'm I always looking. You as a glass I'm half always full looking, kind of guy. <laughs> really, I, yeah. I, I obviously hide it. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, you know, I'm always looking for something that can go wrong, yeah, go and uh, yeah. I, mean, I guess perhaps that's the, I temper the, the bullishness. Yeah, and, and plus, uh, you and I are talking to the same type of people—people yeah, people who yeah. are investing their own money. So there has to be a sense of caution. Equally, you know, there is some good stuff going on, and uh, I think we can't lose sight of the fact that. Again, both our respective economies, UK and US, are relatively sustainable paths. Yeah. Of course, the problem we've got in this country is the election that's due to come up. And as I was walking over, I saw on your uh, roof the, the European flag flying. Did you? Yeah. Have we? The There's a the FT building. There's FT, <laughs> the FT British and European flag flying. And I just no, had a thought, I wonder how much longer that'll fly if, uh, if the Conservatives get in. But... Uh, 
we 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 were a global news. We were a global organisation. You know what was really funny is I was in the US when the Scottish vote happened visiting some of my U.S. executive committee, and it's amazing how many questions I got about that. And now I'm getting questions about, will you stay in the euro if the Conservatives get in? Yeah. Um, will the Scottish get back in if the, La- if the Labour Party gets in? And, you know, the U.S. is in a similar place. We've got an election cycle. Uh, we're, this is the third year of an election cycle. And by the way, the third year of an election cycle is actually very favourable to the stock market. Mm. Um, this is the kind of thing that Simon has Simon often written about in his... Uh, like oh, good. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since yeah. the 60s, 86% of the time, the US stock market has been positive. Mm. On average, up about 14% since about 1968. So the correction is next year. <laughs> the what, sorry? <laughs> the correction the is next year. No, you don't no, get it. Kelly's already called the correction correction. This year. Oh, it's this year. Yeah, this year sometime. Yeah. And, you know, we don't encourage people to invest on the back of this. But a fun fact for people... Every year with a number five, going back to number, going back to 1905, the stock market has been up double digits bar two. Wow. And I will send you the data if you want to have a look. I, I'm sure Which that's in time. That's for the two out I, I forget what years they were, but there were two, two years with a number five and they were up single digits. Okay. It's like Simon Thompson trade in secret. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we don't encourage people to invest on the back of this, but it's just it's just a fun fact. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, we were talking about it. So they were on 20 years ago today, 26th of February 1995, was the day that Barings Bank was oh, declared right. insolvent. Wow. At least. And so uh, maybe that was one of the years where it didn't rise. Mm. Yeah, it could be. Mm. We've got, we got off an interview with, uh, with Nick Leeson. You have? Yeah, we didn't take it. Though. Oh, right. Where is he <laughs> in Singapore I don't know what he does now. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't think it, we we are a, a private investor magazine, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, you know that's we have to be responsible, both yourselves yeah. and I. And we don't make bombastic, um, you know, promises or or projections. And you know, to a degree, this pullback story might sound like a little bit bombastic, but I think there's stuff to back it up, really. So yeah, yeah. As you say, you know, you need a little bit of a frost hey. taken out of the market every now and then. It's not yep. not a bad thing. Yep. Just pay to be cautious. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, it's absolutely. It's you know, it's hard when cash of individual investors for both your readers and our investors mm. as well. Mm. So yeah, going back to the election, the UK election uh, that's obviously coming up in in May. When we put our Christmas issue together, you know, we we, we interviewed a lot of fund managers, and they were saying biggest worry this year was was the election. Yeah. And, and you know, that talk has sort of fizzled out a bit. I think in mm. in uh, in recent weeks, I, I, it's almost as though everyone's forgotten about it. Yeah, we'll be from, the mar- from a market perspective, yeah. there's no sign of nervousness there. I yeah, mean. I guess we've been taken over what's happening in Greece and various other places as well. Well, there seems to be no nervousness about that either. <laughs> Incredible. We, prom- <laughs> we promised last week we were going to talk about Greece. We're not we? going to talk about okay, Greece. Okay, let's avoid that. <laughs> but, you know, but, uh, yeah. but no, it's two, it's two months away now, the election. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's, no, it's, it's no just, It is just around the corner. Yeah. No distance and, you know, barely a word is spoken about the, the market repercussions of, uh, of the election. Well, look mm. what happened when we had the coalition government. You remember that, you know, a few years back when we had our first coalition government in this country we thought the country was going to fall apart uh, and sure enough we worked through it yeah, yeah and and no, it was only nick clegg that fell apart yeah. <laughs> sorry <Good point>. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so no i mean it's, it's interesting i i again i it's not something i'm, I'm particularly concerned about you know from from the, the perspective of my readers and their and their uh, their investments i i, I don't think it's a a big worry yeah. anymore. I really don't. Um, and you know, you talked about the Scottish uh, vote. Yeah, we, we, again, that was almost a non-event. It's a non-event so. at yeah. the time. You know, it was, it was just it was, new, it was news. But maybe people come to their, I don't want to say senses, but maybe people have a realization when they actually get in that booth and decide what to do and what's in the interest of the country as a whole. And hopefully that's what will happen this time around as well. Mm. Well, without without wishing to give away my voting intentions. Uh, <laughs> 
I've never been one for the mainstream parties, um, but my, my my choices of voting were limited somewhat this week by possibly the worst uh, manifesto interview I've ever heard in my life. From the Green Party? Yes. About the housing story? Oh my God. That was incredible. <laughs> Wow. What did she say? She had a brain... A brain freeze. Brain, brain freeze. freeze. Yeah, yeah, I have them all the time, but they don't sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can edit them out on this kind of thing as well, can't you? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I mean, we, the state we, of politics isn't that bad in this country, really, is it? I mean, at least we've got a democracy where... I'm not a fan of UKIP, but at least they can challenge, right? And have mm. a voice. Well, that's, but that was the point. You know, that's why uh, you know, I always thought the Green Party are a voice that need to be yep. there. They need to be coherent because... Whether they get seats, whether they get you know votes or not, at least they're pulling people to pulling other mainstream parties away from the politics. main ones. Exactly, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. you know, it's a shame if if they can't actually put a coherent yeah. message. Because I actually think the point um, that they were making about the shortage of housing is one that we we have been talking about in the magazine yeah. for a very long absolutely. time, yeah, absolutely. and it's one that has really under, underpinned some of the best investments in the UK over yeah. the past yeah. year or two. House builders, house builders, amazing. yeah. Same in the US as well. I mean. Um, interest rates being so low, uh, the housing market has really started to bounce back quite strongly, and and we think that'll offset some of the the capex that's being pulled back a little bit. So um, the US housing market still yeah it's it's plodding along nicely yeah yeah it? yeah and and the great thing is it's not back to the crazy levels that we saw because the subprime market you know it is people are still very very cautious you haven't got the ninja loans. Um, no income, no job. Mm. Uh, those ninja loans that people used to get. Uh, so there's still a you know a high degree of sensible lending going on, and uh, you know rates are still relatively low. Home building starting to pick up, so you know yep. that'll help the economy definitely. But mm. but the contribution from home builders is much lower than it used to be to GDP now. Anyway, I think it's, I think I've heard that about the UK as well. I mean, I despite the so. fact, yeah, I think the same is true mm. here yeah, as well. I'd imagine actually. so. Yeah. I've got to say, there's no there's no um, uh, what's the word. Uh, Irresponsible lending going on here. I, I had to uh, get a little bit more money for my mortgage, my new purchase. It took me three hours. It was yeah. I was interrogated for three hours yeah. Yeah. Uh, just time, just to right? get a small, you know, a mortgage yeah. on a new property with a little bit more. It was yeah. unbelievable. Hoops now. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I'm the same thing. It's, it's a good thing, right? I mean, yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, it felt it didn't feel like a good thing at the time. I have to say, but uh, but no, it is it is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and, it, and you know, anything that means that lending is is responsible and, and sustainable, the, sustainable yeah. that the debt is sustainable i think you know you can't you can't argue with yep. that and all of this again it, it may suppress demand it may suppress transactions mortgage approvals in the short, short term, term but in the long term i think yeah. it means that you're not going to have the, this boom and bust that we, we saw in the past yeah and in, in the short term we are seeing uh you know lending kind of slightly slow but you see that going into an election anyway yep. and it's starting mm. to pick up afterwards which yep. is which is normal so I think yeah. we've seen that this time as well. And some of the house builders have had their results out. We had Bovis Homes and Persimmon this week. Oh, Persimmon was amazing. I mean, they're turning into really good yield plays as well because they're spitting off cash. Yeah. Um, well, so they bought. Know. So they. I mean, they're, been their forward paid. order books are very strong. Yeah. Still. So yeah. where are they finding the space? <laughs> That's right. This, like this is the well. That is the issue. But I mean, that that is something I suppose will support them. Is is the that the land is restricted? Yeah. Well, you go. I mean, you go. You go like I do through Chelmsford every day. I mean, you've seen the, the amount of building around mm. around there on the old Marconi sites. I mean, yeah, I mean, they are finding space. They're it tends to be it's brownfield from, from yeah. what I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, a city centre brownfield. I think there's a lot of it. Yeah. Bizarrely enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chelmsford is a city there and, as well. Know, Not Colchester, though, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> something, I, something I saw recently about home ownership is that the generation before us, shall we say, the ones that are in their 60s or 70s, they were rather unusual in terms of the levels of home ownership. I can't remember what the exact data was, but the, pre- the previous generation to them, home ownership was relatively low in the mm. UK. So we, we looked at this, actually. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah, we did. Uh, yeah. So, um, for our Christmas issue, in fact, yeah. we did uh, our charts of the year. 
I mean, home ownership at the turn of the century, of the, the 20th century, yeah. was virtually zero, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it did, you know, it rose quite, quite sharply yeah. um, to very high levels post, post-war, post yeah. and then even higher after the, you know, the Thatcher uh, yeah. um, right to buy. And now it's move, coming off, And it's coming it? down again. Mm. Yeah. It is yeah. coming down again. So, you know, but, it, but it's still quite high. Yeah. One of the numbers in, in the magazine this week, uh, in seven days, we, we spotted was that uh, of 24 to 36 year olds are the, the next generation of homeowners 36% of them own their own home 10 years ago that was almost uh, 66% wow so that, that shows you know, the, so the generation yeah. but again yeah. but again you know think about that I mean the, okay that's a number and it says oh you know that that number's bad you know it says that it's becoming more difficult for <laughs> 24 to 36 year olds that buy their own home or is it or, well, they, or they take or they're making different choices mm. yeah and the question you know, is whether the 66 percent number was the right number is yeah. that the right number or was that an, anom- an anomaly that we saw yeah. wow well, yeah. I, I think yeah, but people you know want to lead more flexible lives now they yeah. want to work overseas they yeah. want to travel a lot more you know i think i think you know things are changing yeah, in Euro- other ways and the europeans don't own their homes uh, spain germany germany Italy, yeah. Yep. everybody rents and it's normal to rent and they all get into these long-term rental contracts and maybe that's what we need in this country is a, a look at the rental market in some way um, i think i think that's probably true yeah that you know short short-term rentals which is pretty much all you can get here and yeah. not not necessarily where you want to be yeah. if you, you know if you're a family you know you don't want to be renting because you could be kicked out yeah year after year after year and something i'm envious of my u.s colleagues is that they get 30-year fixed mortgages yeah i, I see just incredible we can get seems, 10 yeah. seems oh, we can get 10 we can get 10 country. yeah but imagine having that level of visibility to be able to do it for that long and hopefully that would make it easier for these guys yep. to own homes yeah I, I would have i would have bought a 30-year mortgage oh, i'd have paid a little absolutely. bit more for it as well just yeah. as you say just for the especially with rates being where they are at the moment mm. and yeah. the perspective yeah. of rates going into up in this country probably much longer than the US, I'd imagine. Yeah. No, 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 I will buy 10. I de- my, my bank didn't actually have a 10 last time I had to uh, to fix. But uh, yeah, next time I'll definitely buy a 10. Yeah. If that's the longest I can I'll buy the yeah. longest I can get. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd agree. <laughs> I'd agree. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Thank you, Cully. Pleasure. Thanks uh, it's for been, uh, been great, great to have you today, our first guest. Yeah, um, good to be here. Very exciting. It is very exciting. We should do this more often. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks, Graham, uh, as always, thanks, for... Uh, for your uh, for your valuable contributions, um, lots more in the magazine this week. We've got an update of our uh, ten asset portfolio, uh, written by James Norrison, part of our market tactics series, in which he concludes perhaps that you only need two. Um, but uh, I'll leave you to uh, to read that yourselves. All the usual personal finance uh, funds tips, loads of results this week, and and next week there's going to be even more. We haven't talked about results this week, generally, because we, uh, we're going to save it all up. We're getting over the shock of the number of results we've, we've read. It, had. It, is, it is pretty, uh, it's pretty bad <laughs> when, you see, when you see them Next laid week's out. Next going to be a results special. So earnings season in the US has been marked as pretty lacklustre. Would you say it's the same in the UK as a summary? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, we're going to talk about that next week. It's been okay. Yeah. okay. It's yeah. been okay. There's, you know, I'm not looking at them thinking, good God, these are horrible. Yeah. But I'm also you know, not generally seeing anything that's sort of blowing the lights out. Yeah. Um, but we, we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to get Stephen, the com- Stephen Wilmot, the company's editor, to come on. And we're going to talk through... It must be. It's going to be a good hundred um, wow. to talk about by the time we. That's uh, a long podcast. It's going to be a long podcast. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we can we can turn it into trends. Yeah. It's going to be uh, it's going to be like a, you know big picture stuff with uh, with with examples to, to to support them. Um. So yeah, tune in next week. Uh, I'm really hoping that we get the the 
personal finance uh, podcast up and running next week because next week is our ISA special. So mm. uh, it's that time of year where you know you can yeah. really get get working out what to do with the ISA allowance you haven't spent or what to do with the one that's coming up in the in the following year. And yeah, which uh, is a lot more nowadays, so it's great. Yeah, what is it? Fifteen thousand. Fifteen grand. Yeah. Fifteen thousand. And you can do what you like with it. Stock yeah, shares, can. cash, yeah. whatever. So uh, yeah, the, the, that personal finance podcast should be um, should. The first one should be available by the end of next week. It's not very early the week after. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. So anyway, again, thank you, Cully. Thank you, Graham. And thank you all for listening. And uh, I'll uh, I'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.